So I have a question for you. Have you ever had a philosophical theology discussion? <laughs> I have. Philosophical theology the, theologians like to ask weird sort of questions. They ask questions like, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Have you ever heard that question, something like that? The one I liked was, can God make counterfeit money? You know that all money is made by the authority of a government, and all that government authority is derived, and God does it. So does God have the authority to make would it? Would it be counterfeit if he made it? It would be the real thing. Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it, though, is, is sort of the human misunderstanding. They're looking for God's power to, to understand or describe God's power, sort of like the way that sometimes sci-fi movies like to ask questions that you can't ask in other venues, right? But they are asking, does, is, how powerful is God? But they're after the authority question, and I, and I need to make sure you know this. God can't lit, make a rock so big, he can't lift it, because if he says to the rock in his authority, lift yourself, it just does it, because he has authority. It's not power the way that we are. He's not measuring newtons and going, I wonder if I have enough newtons in my power saddle. Is that the correct uh, unit of measure? Yeah. I, I was thinking ergs, but ergs is smaller than newtons, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have science teachers in the room. A newton is what? What it takes to, make, to move one kilogram, one meter per second. It's a unit of measure of power. Okay, I had heard I got, got off uh, past somebody. It's like Watt, but in a different venue. Thank you, okay. So what I want to ask is how often, if, if people are trying to ask questions about God's power, but what they really are, are asking about is does he have the authority to do something? Is there any other locations in your life that you've experienced the world sort of asking the wrong question? Yeah. Okay, so I have another one. Are you ready? You ready for this? Here's the, here's the wrong question. You're making, are you making yourself equal with God? <laughs> right, but, but in our text today, the leaders of the Jewish people are going to say, Ooh, he made himself equal with God. But that's not what Jesus is doing, okay? He's telling them he's unified with God. It's not the same thing, is it? Unity is not the same as equality. I can be equal and separate. But Jesus is unified with God. Here, let's, let's go into the text because here's the other one. We often think that Jesus accuses us. The text this morning is going to explain this. Jesus is not the one that accuses us. By the way, the accuser has a different name in the Bible. Did you know that? It's the S guy. <laughs> Here, let's read the text. This is from John 5. 
And I'm going to start at John 5.16. I know the text in, the, in there says something different. It's all right. I'm going to start here anyway. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules, but Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his father, therefore making himself equal with God. That's their language, not his. This is his language. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son of can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Is that equality or unity? So that's unity. I only do what I see my father doing. I don't do anything without him. This is not equality. It's unity. It's quite a different thought. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. For just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone. Unity, and here's the power, power authority matrix. You think by force we can just make somebody have life? No, that is about authority. Do you understand the difference between authority and power? I can move a rock with a lever. I can't command the rock to move. It's quite different. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises for the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he gives the Son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. Again, not equality, unity, unified. Jesus and the Father are one. They're, they're, not, they're not separate but equal. That's a human concept. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when the dead will hear my voice and the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. And he has given him authority to judge, or the Father has given life in himself, and he has granted the same life-giving power to his Son, and he has given him authority to judge every man, everyone, because he is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to the experience, rise to experience or eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me and not my own. Again, we're, do you hear the unity in here? He's not saying, I'm equal with God. He's saying, I and the Father are one. There's more here. It comes down further. He goes through this. I'm going to skip down to, this, to the last couple of verses here, 41. 
your approval, he's been talking about the witness and where the witness comes from, means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you, for I have come to you in the Father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if I come to, if others were to come in their own name, you would gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. And by believing, he also means no wonder you can't believe or no wonder you don't hear the voice of God. And if you were to hear the voice of God and obey the voice of God, what would you get? Life, not death. But if you hear and obey, you get life. That's what he's been saying, right? That God gives life. By the way, if I get a can from the grocery store, and it's all hermetically sealed, it's they don't use the term hermetically, but they, it's what it is, right? And you, oh, and you have that can. Is there life in that can? Well, I hope not. <laughs> let, me ask, let me say it that way. I hope there's nothing alive in the can. <laughs> but if there's something alive in the can and it's been hermetically sealed like that, what do you know? It's been broken. The seal's been broken, right? That life doesn't just pop into the can of its own accord. Something has to be introduced. And life comes from life. It doesn't just show up on its own. Nobody, the whole Frankenstein storyline is about us trying to introduce life where there wasn't life. We don't have that authority. Okay, no one... No wonder you can't believe if you gladly honor each other, but don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it is, isn't I who accuse you before the Father. Do you hear this? This is Jesus speaking. It isn't I that accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Who's Moses in the story? In the whole, in the whole tradition of Israel, Moses has a very specific spot. If you're an Israelite and you say, I'm a... I'm following Moses. It means you're keeping the law, right? But when Jesus is later in John on the Mount of Transfiguration and he shows up and there's Moses and Elijah there and Peter opens his mouth because he thinks he's got the right thing to say. And he says to me, oh God, it's really good for me to be here. I've now seen Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Let me build three tabernacles or shrines is what he's not shelters it's not really the correct translation little places where we can worship all three of you and god says this is my beloved son you pay attention to him and the other two just they they disappear so moses has great importance if you're talking from this human tradition but when you're talking about god and jesus moses is a servant and he's a human servant. And he has a place of honor, but he's a human servant who's brought the law. And what Jesus is saying is this, that it isn't me that will accuse you before the Father. Moses will. Yes, Moses in whom you put your hopes. Moses doesn't even want to accuse you. Unless you think, by keeping Moses' rules, I get saved. We were talking about this in the Sunday school class last week that I teach down here in the hallway. Leah said that they were all, all the kids that were in my class were all a, a Twitter over it because I was talking about karma 
and, built, and karma is about building your own reputation or your own name. So if I do good things, I get, I get good things in return. That's not actually the biblical message. I'm just telling you what that is. But if I build my own name, what am I hoping my name will do in me? Am I hoping my name will save me? If I'm building on my own name and I'm going, I'm going to do good things for me and that goodness is going to save me, then I'm hoping for my name and my reputation to do the work of salvation. That's just silly. Thank you. Why is it silly? Okay, you're not supposed to build upon yourself because you're building upon God. Why don't you build upon yourself? Somebody else, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a break. I'm going to give you a break because I've got a special answer here. Are you ready for this? You're going to die, and your goodness ain't going to get you out of that. Because it's not goodness that gets you out of that. It's no other name given under heaven by which you must be saved, which is Jesus. Okay? No other name, no other reputation, no other name has all this stuff in it in the Bible. For the glory of your name is not about us going, he's got a name. It's for the reputation of God's name. When Moses argues with God and says, don't destroy them, your reputation, your name is at stake. No other name under heaven that you might be saved, Jesus. So you're not building your own reputation. You're after Jesus's. He's the one who's made it through the grave and knows what to do when you get to the grave. That's why you want him, right? Do, I, do, you, do any of you know what to do when you're in the grave? <laughs> Thank you, Peter. That was great. <laughs> Perfectly timed. <laughs> That's right. If you think you know what to do when you get to the grave, you should... Let's do that again. <laughs> But the world gets this whole discussion wrong. They think Jesus is judging and accusing us. You didn't do good. Look, Jesus knows who did good. He doesn't have to accuse us. His very presence, though, does something in us. And we start going, oh, man, I didn't cut the mustard. I didn't make it. Who's the accuser there? Moses, us. The people that are keeping the law. Moses is accusing you. Here's one other thing I've become convinced of recently. I think some of the multiculturalism, equality language that we're doing is, is kind of gone a, a little crazy. But let me tell you why I think it's driving the way it is. I think the world has heard God's call to unity of his people and said, we're going to do that without the Spirit. Have you ever tried to do anything good on your own and just had it fall flat? Because we think, well, if we're all equal, we'll be unified. But that isn't how that works. You work on unity, and God handles the rest. It isn't Jesus that accuses us. When we're at the last day, it isn't going to be Jesus going, oh man, you just didn't cut it. You didn't make it. Matter of fact, Zechariah chapter 3, some of you will know that that was one of those big verses in my life. Zechariah chapter 3. How many of you have spent your life just studying the book of Zechariah? 
That would be me. Zechariah chapter 3 has it this way. He has the priest of the Lord standing in heaven wearing dirty clothes. What does it mean to be wearing dirty clothes biblically? Your sin. There is sin in your life. And anyway, he's before the throne of God, and it's not Jesus accusing him in the story. It's Satan is there going, look at what he's done. And Jesus says, the Lord rebuke you. Is this not my chosen person? And then Jesus commands the angels to redress the priest that's in front of them and says, give him clean things and do this. But Jesus rebukes the accuser. He says, you have no place here. The accusation doesn't need to be made. If you're going to build upon Jesus' reputation in your life, you don't need to worry about you. He's got you. If you'll focus on being unit, a unit unified with Jesus, you're not going to have to worry about how you treat other people. You're going to treat them the way he wants it done because you will be unified with him the way he's unified with the Father, right? And Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. So if you see Jesus doing it, you know that's what the character of God is like. But if you become unified with Jesus in spirit and in doing, you are going to look just like a little Jesus. Or maybe a blonde Jesus or a brunette Jesus or a European Jesus. <laughs> By the way, just, just, just to throw this for your information thing out, we're called Christians because when... We, when, when Christians started doing things, they go, oh, they're just like little Christs. It was a derogatory. They're just like little Christs. And they became known as Christians because they did the things that the people thought Jesus would have been doing. And they nicknamed them. Just like Methodists were nicknamed this way. You know they've got a method for everything. They're Methodists. Or the Puritans were nicknamed. You know, they're really, they're really paying attention to that purity. They're Puritans. And so what the world uses as a slur, right, because we think it gets on our bad reputation, we're going, it ain't my reputation. I'm all good. I'm working on Jesus's. And he doesn't accuse you. He gives life to those that hear his voice. And he has the power of judgment because it's been delegated because he's in unity with God. If we don't learn anything today, let's spend some time thinking about how we can be unified with Jesus in his way of thinking. I have two ways that I think are really three ways. To use a biblical phrase. There are three things that God loves, four that make it happen. I just keep adding, right? How do you become unified with Jesus in the way that he became unified with God? Well, first off, you're going to have to watch him for a little bit. And the only real, since we don't have, right, 
the children's moment when they, we don't have eyewitnesses. We are not direct eyewitnesses to what Jesus did when he was on earth. We have this little, we have this book that we can read. And so the first thing we do, if we want to become unified with Jesus, is we begin to read about him and see what he's doing, not just in the pages of the book, but then go, is that what I see his people doing? What's something else that we need to do? We need to be talking to God. And I'm not talking about fancy prayers. I'm talking about, will you please talk to God and then listen for a while? Is that a different thought for you? If you have a conversation with, your, with somebody you deeply love, do you just talk all the time and never listen? No, no. You listen because you love them. So prayer is conversation with God where you listen and he listens. Number three. You praise him. You praise him. What, is, what does praise do in, in, in our lives when we do something good and somebody notices it and they go, wow, that was awesome you did that. What does that do in your life? It makes you feel appreciated, right? When we praise God, that's what that is. Did you see what he did? Wow. Sometimes we sing songs about it that sort of give us words to think about that praise in. I was thinking about that. I really like it when you did that, God. I think I'll tell you. We praise him for what he did. One other thing. We come together to learn from each other. I sat in a Sunday school class that I don't normally get to sit in today. I got to learn some stuff from somebody else about what it means to be Christian. Those are the the four things about how we begin to get in a unified position with Christ. Not trying to be equal. And I hope you, I hope the absurdity of being equal to Jesus in your mind, just, I'm going to be equal to Jesus. I hope that, I hope that just sounds absurd to you. And yet Jesus calls us brother and sister. Not equal, but his. Unified. Can God build a rock so big that he can't lift it? When you hear things like this, this is the sort of thing philosophical theologians do. You just, I think, you're asking the wrong sort of question. You're looking at it from a human standpoint. You end up with equality versus unity. Power versus authority. Let's choose to look at it from God's way this morning. Let's hear it from him and watch him and do what he does. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today. I thank you. I thank you for giving me an idea of how I I think of you as doing something that somebody somebody else does. Help me become aware of what you're doing and not assign you things that you didn't do. 
but also give you credit for what you have done. In your precious name, amen.